Hi everyone and welcome back to Discerning Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host Ant and you join me today for episode number 141 in which I'm going to talk about the Jim Carrey movie um, Yes Man, um, returning to one of my loves on Discerning Consciousness Podcast and that's uh, movie reviews. And I'm going to talk about um, Yes Man in regards to the art of letting go. Um, so as I always do, um, as I've done in the past, perhaps I should say, I'm going to look at some of the main um, deeper meanings um, contained uh, within the movie. Uh, because at its core, Yes Man is a very spiritual movie, uh, even though it's delivered, of course, um, for a mainstream audience. But as with... Um, as with one of Jim Carrey's other classics, The Truman Show, which I've talking about, which I've spoken about before, uh, it can be understood on many different levels, um, on just basic entertainment to metaphysics. Really, depends depends what level um, what level the viewer is at. So, in this particular episode, I'm going to um, I'm going to approach this. I'm going to start at the beginning good place to start and I'm going to walk you guys um, through some of the key scenes, um, some of the key moments in the film and then just relate it to some um, pertinent spiritual concepts uh, and ideas, many of which I'm sure you'll be familiar with. So first of all, um, just a little bio in terms of the movie Yes Man. So it was released in 2008 and it was based on um, the book by Danny Wallace. And the book was um, published in 2005, I believe. And it had quite a um, good cast list other than Jim Carrey, the likes of Bradley Cooper, Zoe Deschanel. hope I've spelt that right. Uh, sorry, pronounced that right, I should say. Um, and uh, Terence Stamp, and it was directed by Peyton Reed. And um, I think um, it's one of those films, it's not one of um, Jim Carrey's more well-known films, to be honest. Um, it is very much um, his classic sort of style, um, like Bruce Almighty, and um, of course, um, The Truman Show, in that it's delivered in a sort of, um, humorous way in a sort of classic um, Jim Carrey style that we know and love if you do appreciate him uh, as I do and it's always um, as I was saying very accessible even for a mainstream audience who would not um, you know not think of any kind of deeper meanings which we're going to explore um, in today's episode so the movie starts um, the sort of the opening scenes um we find jim carrey he is um very much a sort of depressed person there's a lot of self-loathing going on um due to splitting up with his uh ex-girlfriend or wife i believe stephanie he is um he's stuck in a rut he's not really interested in life uh, and he's because of that he's not really interested in other people He's stuck in the past. He's extremely negative and he still still longs to get back with his ex. As I was just saying, Stephanie, that's kind of like his sort of fantasy that he holds to. And there are various scenes where Bradley Cooper, his friend, tries to encourage him. 
to go out, but um, Jim Carrey, the Jim Carrey character Carl, Carl keeps making all these uh, rather ridiculous and pathetic excuses. And um, much like um, when I did a review of uh, Groundhog Day and Phil Connor's character, these are very much the characteristics that he was displaying at the beginning of the film. And as I said in that particular movie review, I think we can all relate to these what I was just describing. I think when we do um, get into sort of depressed states and we do feel sorry for ourselves, it is very easy, even for those of us who do have, you know, more knowledge than, shall we say, the mainstream, um, it's still easy to get stuck in ruts. It really is. It's um, So it still can be quite, um, quite a challenge. Now, looking at this sort of situation that um, Jim Carrey's character, Carl, found himself in, from a sort of Buddhist um, precept or Buddhist concept in terms of the reactive mind versus um, the creative mind, we can we can say that um, Carl was very much in the reactive mind because he was close to new ideas, close to going out, close to, you know, just trying to think new, really, to be honest. So he was not open to new ideas in he was he was his mind was reactive in that he was fixated on what he believed he needed in his life in order to be happy um there was no flexibility so on the one hand obviously there's a um, scene where he seemed to really hate his job and um you know he um that's part of the reason why he part of the re one of the reasons why he feels so miserable and um, he's he's of the belief, well, if he was to change his job, that would make him happy. And as I was saying just before, if he was able to get back with his uh, ex-wife, that would make him happy. So he's very much stuck in a, um, a sort of rigid mindset. And also this speaks to this sort of uh, spiritual um, kind of uh, precept or idea of the paradox of control. In other words, the more that we attempt to control life, the more the more the universe, the sneaky universe, <laughs> um, will show us in quite uncategorical terms um, the limitations of of ourself, uh, or I should say the limitations of ultimately the control um, that we do have. So in this regard, Carl attempts to control his life whilst living in fear and attempting to avoid pain. But, and this means that he just he is stuck. He's stuck in a very, very um, limited sense of self. And this is sort of uh, perpetuated by this idea that if he can if he can control the situation, then somehow, somehow it's going to um, somehow it's he's going to, you know, he'll be able to um, overcome his his depression if he just stays in this shutdown state and he doesn't you know expose himself to situations in the social world perhaps you know where where some of his um pain and anxieties and and traumas um will, will, will be uh, inflamed so eventually things move on in the movie and things come to a head of course and when um a couple of carl's friends they they visit him in his flat in his apartment and there's one really quite iconic scene where he's um, he's literally he's stuck and you see him 
um, on the sofa and it, and it looks like he's de dead. And at one point, a fly flies and bzz, buzzes um, on his nose. And two of his friends jokingly, you know, say, well, he looks like he's he's dead. And of course, in some sense, he's dead. He is dead. Um, kind of like, um, although he still seems to be physically alive, he's not the the real the sort of um, the way in which I like this scene, or I should say why I like this scene is because it does speak to manifestation and what happens when we do get stuck in very, very negative thought patterns. And when we limit our experience of life, it often means that we are we are not manifesting we are not moving forward we are not perhaps i should say better way put we're not take we're not taking action because as um former good friend of the show heather heaton and someone who i've worked with a lot as you know on discerning consciousness primarily when we spoke about um the celestine prophecy we did some good work on there and she's always said to me and it's a great phrase we are manifestation machines and that's exactly what we are although um, you know, I think well, those of us who are interested in spiritualism and and uh, metaphysics and things like that, I think we can often we often forget that it is about being in the physical. It is, to put it very simply, uh, uh, putting one foot in front of the other each day and, and taking action, action, action. And I think that's what um, Heather Heaton means when she says um, we are manifestation machines. And and Carl, in this instant, this instance in this particular scene, a very, very funny scene, a very pivotal point in the scene where he reaches his his lowest point before the transformation begins. If we are not if we are not moving forward, then we're not manifesting, then we literally our energies become stuck. And this is where things become, you know, become toxic. And in the process of trying to avoid life, we're not flowing, we're not manifesting. So the energy becomes stuck, much uh, like think of the um, kind of metaphor of a river. And uh, when when it when it gets blocked or it gets uh, the, the water isn't flowing down the banks of a river anymore, you get that, that kind of very skanky, horrible smell because it's become toxic. And this is a very literal representation of that at this point um in the um in the film and also um of course it, this does speak to the way in which uh the, uh the mind body connection the importance of having fluidity of mind fluidity of thought so we do actually take action we do um we do act uh within um the physical realm of course so we've reached the uh, one of the key junctures, one of the key pivotal scenes, sorry, as I was just um, saying. And then we move on um, to the seminar with the Terence Stamp character, um, the kind of spiritual um, guru. And you've got hundreds, if not thousands of people who are attending this seminar, uh, attempt, uh, sorry, attending um, this event following... Um, Following Carl, he met um, an old friend that he used to know. Met, he met him outside the bank and he encourages Carl to attend this event, which he does. And then they meet up. You'll be familiar if you've seen the film, of course, a really, a really good scene. Very, very comical as well. As I was saying at the beginning, as with all films with a deeper meaning or a deeper message, they can, they can just be um, appreciated for uh, the comedy element and just for entertainment. 
But anyway, um, just in summation of this particular scene, so the Terence um, Stamp, his character, he really, what he does is when he, he, he runs from the stage and he, and he sits or he forces the mic right in front of Carl's face and he literally forces Carl to face himself, literally, very, very clearly. You know, like uh, perhaps if we have a sincere friend or a good family member or a loved one who tells us, quite frankly, you know, do you realise you're going off track we, when we, we, we get we get lost in life? And obviously this has um, this has a, a huge impact on Carl. Um, it really does, because in front of a very public audience in a in a very uh, in a very public way, um, the Terence Stamp character uh, brings uh, to Carl's awareness the limitations of his life and the way in which he's he's living um, he's living such a, a small life. So of course, this is the point at which um, Carl's life um, moves in a moves in a completely different um, direction. And he's had um, a massive shake-up call. I mean, I would say what's really interesting is normally um, in films you you have the pivotal point or the pivot point. I think it's called. I'm not quite sure. I've got that wrong. Is something more serious than someone just going to a talk or a spiritual seminar or conference, whatever you want to call it. It normally involves a, a car accident or an illicit affair or or something, husband, wife, running off. I mean, whatever it is, it's a point at which, um, you know, of course, it's mirrored in real life as well, where we have to reconsider our priorities in life. And we are really forced to push beyond our fears and comfort zone, um, as Carl was from that point onward. And just um, just want to also add one of the, just some of the dialogue, uh, which was really interesting for me. And I think we probably can all relate to it when we're stuck in a in a rut because Carl actually says to a Terence Stamp character, you know, um, when he's trying to give an excuse to the sort of sedentary aspect of his life, the fact it's going nowhere, he says, um, I'm just auditing life. And in response, a Terence Stamp character, sorry, says, you can't audit life, Carl. And I think these these words, whenever I watch the movie, because I've watched it many, many times, I love it so much. For me, these really do stick out. Um, this idea of I'm just auditing life, as Carl says, because I think it's an example of how we can make. It's very easy to make justifications for our dysfunction, like a lot of people. I think within mainstream society, and I've spoken to this before. People keep busy, 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 busy. And I think that's part of strategizing life as an attempt to avoid pain. Or they become the types of people that are busy trying to help and organise other people all the time as a way of avoiding pain, as a way of avoiding past emotional traumas. But this can lead to a very mechanical uh, approach to, to life and also by extension I believe it can be very difficult to enjoy life because if we are auditing life as Carl said um we never really we never I don't I believe it comes from 
lack of trust in ourselves and in our intuition and really to back to manifestation back to bring about the kind of life that we want and I think it speaks to this whole sort of the legacy if you like of the Protestant work ethic this idea that life by definition is struggle and if we want to succeed that will involve a lot of hard work and a lot of struggle so that's why even in this modern era when lots of new ideas thankfully um, have have seeped into society through the internet and through other means of course through other media um, we'd still um, unfortunately there is that aspect that remains and, and for a lot of people it means they find it difficult um, difficult to enjoy life and then just lastly on this point before moving on to one of the next important scenes that does mean that it is common for a lot of people to form insecure attachments um, because we are just auditing life, as Carl said. So moving on now, this is um, one of the first scenes we see uh, where, uh, let's call it uh, Yes Man Philosophy. Yeah, let's call it Yes Man Philosophy is tested and and, and uh, Carl is tested to see if he's uh, committed to Yes Man Philosophy. <laughs> Excuse me. And this ho homeless guy, you know, he taps on the window and of course Carl isn't very impressed because he's still stuck in the old um, old way of thinking and he hasn't really fully embraced yes, fully embraced, sorry, yes man philosophy as of yet. He's still stuck in uh, this idea of what benefits him rather than the trusting, rather than trusting in the process of allowing. So immediately, I mean, a lot of us might think, who's this homeless person? Who, who's this bum? What, 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 what does he want? And again, this speaks to us, what I was just talking about a while ago, the reactive mind, the Buddhist concept of the reactive mind, where immediately it's straight away the kind of egoic response of, well, some dirty, skanky, homeless uh, bum, you know, how, how's, how's he going to help me kind of thing. It's that sort of reactive mine and and as we uh, res response and as we know um, it was the fact that he did actually embrace uh, yes man philosophy uh, and pushed beyond his fears and embraced you know the ideas around the law of unintended um, consequences that his life you know his life did um, move in a completely new different direction uh, because um, as I was just saying with the law of unintended consequences what happens when we let go of the need to know uh, the result of our actions? In other words, when we let go of the need to know an outcome, we, we get to experience many more happenings in life. So many more um, experiences. That doesn't necessarily mean that there will all be <laughs> experiences that we might find uh, enjoyable. Um, that's another point I'll pick up later on. But nine times out of ten, as was the instance here, as I've found in my own life as well, it's like when you take a risk in life, I've always found, you know, you get a little nod and a wink from the universe and you do get some uh, assistance. Definitely. It's like you're proving your worth. And um, quite often we will meet new people who can help us advance on our path. So anyway, of course, he meets the rather lovely Alison after breaking um after breaking down, um, giving a lift to the tramp, the homeless guy, up into the Hollywood Hills, I believe. That's where it is, where this, this particular scene was um, filmed. And 
this sets up a completely different course for Carl's life. Suddenly, um, he really does. He's like, he, there's, he feels, it confirms, you know, he feels happy with himself. He was right. He suddenly, he's able to embrace the unknown. And I think in that moment, that's when he, he really did begin for the first time to perhaps to begin to heal from the trauma of his past relationship with uh, Stephanie, his marriage, I should say, sorry. And he begins to rediscover his lust for life and he has a renewed enthusiasm and and joy as well. Um, the other thing, if, of course, is furthermore, um, what's important to consider when we embrace the um, art of le letting go, the art of detachment, if you like. Um, there's this sort of, a right, there's um, an, an awareness that arises. I think it takes quite a lot of time to arise. It's really quite profound wisdom when we realise that in essence, we can't make an incorrect choice or the wrong choice in life or a bad choice because ultimately, um, we're not in control. Ultimately, our higher self, our soul, our God, universe, the divine, whatever you want to call it, this force, this entity. Um, all we can really do, and this is kind of not earth shattering information, of course, this has been known about for a long, long time. But because it's very important, I do regularly return to it on discerning consciousness. We can at least, of course, choose how to react to the consequences of our action of our actions and this is the type of wisdom that I do believe it does arise slowly it's almost like you have to along the way you have to have a sort of um you have to have a formal narrative if you like a supportive narrative with the ego to say look it's fine okay you're going to find it a little bit strange because we're just going to break embrace the unknown all the time but don't worry you're still here to make sure I don't come to any harm I'm not going to destroy you. I'm not going to completely an alien. I'm not going to completely, sorry, alienate you, because otherwise, the ego has a real uh, tremendous hissy fit that none of us really want. And um, I think um, the other thing is when we um, when we're able to commit to this process, the art of letting go. Um, which is so brilliantly explore, explored in the movie, Yes Man. I think also it helps to it helps us to jettison. It helps us to move on from existing negative beliefs or negative belief systems and limiting ideas about self and our own kind of personality and the way in which we present ourselves in the world. And I think that happens as a, a natural byproduct rather than uh, attending, you know, particular therapies or seeing a counselling a counsellor or having shamanic healing is something that just happens as a natural byproduct a byproduct of just um fully embracing life because new opp new opp new opportunities arise but we still have to take the action back to what I was talking about Heather Heaton's point we are manifestation machines because um and this is a, a kind of like um, something where I still trip myself much trip myself up a bit and it's um when i still kind of over intellectualize the process over overthink it if you will 
So another thing about grasping the moment, of course, and being confident in the moment and, and just acting on impulse. When, um, so Carl first meets Alison, as you'll know, if you've seen the film, of course, um, at the petrol station uh, and or gas station, maybe I should say in the context of this film. And then he gets, sorry, she gives him a lift back up into the hills, back up to where his, um, where his car's um, uh, broken down. And then um, he he just says to her, "Oh, that's that we should make out." And then she walks in up to him, and 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 they kiss, she kisses him, and she responds to his very um, direct approach. And of course, within the whole kind of um, actually the pickup community, the men's movement, one of the things that they teach, and I do you know do believe there's quite a strong element of truth to that, is that. Um, certain types of women i have to say that obviously in this polit politically correct era do very much uh respond positively shall we say like alison did to carl by planting a lovely kiss on the lips um respond in a very positive way to direct approaches because in that moment carl he knew what he wanted so he was acting it is said in a masculine way he was demonstrating a key masculine trait, trait that certain types of women find um, attractive um, in men. You know, he knew what he wanted in that moment and he went for it. So that's just a, a, my little take on that particular scene from a kind of broader, from a kind of a broader context. Now, now I'm going to change track a little bit. But what I want to share with you is a fascinating story that um, I want to tell you a story um, about the power of attachment and the power of emotions, uh, because I was taught a very, very valuable lesson back in the year 2013, the early part of 2013, so over 10 years ago um, now. So what was happening? Just a brief history. What happened, I should say, um, all of a sudden, my car, which is a very old, it's 23 years old now, a little Honda Civic, my my Honda, which which I love my little Honda because it's always been so reliable. My little Cherubang, as I call it. Um, it is a bit sad. I know how we can get attached to physical objects. But anyway, so let's let's rewind uh, to 2013. And all of a sudden, my car, it just wouldn't start. I took it to my mechanic, Steve, and he said, the problem you've got, Ant, is it's an issue with, with the immobiliser. And he said, there's nothing I can do because they need the codes at the Honda garage. So luckily at the time we had a, a, a Honda garage near us here on the fringes of the New Forest on the south coast of, of the UK. Now, at the time, my car was only 13 years old. And I was very much adamant that I'm going to get this car back in the, on the road. I'm going to get the part I, I need in relationship to the immobiliser. And we're going to get going again. Um, but I was very much emotionally attached to this idea of I'm never, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give up my little Honda. I love my Civic. There's no way I'm giving it up. Not at any cost. So I set up this um, very rigid very rigid um, emotional attachment to the only outcome that I desired was getting the car back. 
that was it. I just there was there was no way I was going to contemplate um, having to sell the car for scrap because the issue was the issue was Honda were not making this particular part related to the immobilizer um, anymore. So the only way in which I could get the part was from a, a breaker's yard or a scrapper's scrappage yard. And um, so I left it with Honda near near me and there there it lay. And of course, they're not interested. Um, they weren't interested in, in an old vehicle clogging up their, their, um, their showroom at the back. So but I was determined. I was I was absolutely determined. I kept phoning them. No, sorry, Mr. Insley. There's no, um, no. We haven't been able to uh, track down this component, this this part that you need to get to get back on the road. And um, eventually, what what I what happened? And it's, this is the interesting, kind of like paradoxical. What's paradoxical about sharing this story? I reached a point where I realised I'm going to have to accept that I might have to sell my Civic for scrap because I'm never going to get this part. I had to, I don't know, I just sat down. I didn't do a ritual. I didn't do a ceremony. I didn't light a candle. I just felt it inside me. You know, when we had these honest conversations with ourselves and I just said, right, Ant, it's just a car. It's just metal. Okay. You're going to have to, you know, maybe accept, set a time limit, maybe a couple of weeks, whatever. But you need wheels, you need it for work, you need it for socialising. Just accept it. And then literally the next day, I went on eBay and I found the part at a breaker's yard up north. Got them to send it to the Honda garage near me here in the New Forest. And within a few days, I was back on the road. So... The really story, um, the story of this is that ultimately I got my my car that I still cherish to this day, which is rather sad. But 10 years ago, I, I got it back on the road ultimately because um, eventually I was able to give up the emotional attachment of needing to get it to needing of needing to get it back. But only then did my universe or did the kind of did the sort of rigidity if you like within the universe it freed up and the, and the part came came into being but only at that point only at that point uh, that I was prepared to 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 give it up to sell it to scrap it which would have been you know heartbreaking um so it is it's as I say it is extremely paradoxical but I learned a very valuable lesson about the power of emotional attachment, because when we become emotionally attached to a specific outcome, what happens within the energetic flow of the universe, if I can put it like that, it closes off. Think of it like brain synapses. It closes off this flow of brain synapses. So it means that less uh, opportunities, less happenings come into being. So I at the end of the day, it ultimately didn't matter if I got my car back or not. In the grand scheme of things, I did get my car back only when I wasn't emotionally attached to needing to get it back. That And that's the thing. That's what I learned um, 
about manifestation. Hope that makes sense because it's quite a paradoxical, it's quite a par paradoxical thing to get across. But the reason why I'm sharing my little story about my my lovely little civic is that's an aspect of letting go, which is so delightfully explored in the movie. Um, yes, man. Anyway, moving on back to the film now. Um, Carl, um, he ultimately got what he what he craved. Uh, like all human beings, we want love and intimacy, but he thought he could only get that by getting back with his ex-wife, uh, Stephanie. And it was only when he gave up the emotional attachment to his ex-wife, Stephanie, um, that the universe presented him with, with opportunities to find love and to find intimacy um, with, with, with another woman. So it does show the power of emotions and emotional attachment. This isn't just some new age, you know, hocus pocus superstition it really it's a real thing and it's extremely potent and when you it when you can conceive of it like i did with the incident with my car it makes you realize again just how powerful we are as as human beings i mean like really 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 quite scarily powerful in a way um something's quite hard to perceive at times because obviously we're propagandized to believe that we're nothing but just a, a meat golem or, or on you know on an accidental uh, planet that just blew out of out of nowhere however many millions or billions of years ago anyway so um carl is now um you know he's he's um He's exploring himself in the following scenes. He goes on very much. This is where the film very much goes into sort of classic Jim Carrey um, territory, um, madcap style. So he um, he attends different events. He joins uh, PersianWifeFinder.com. He, he goes to a Harry Potter costume party hosted by his his work colleague and at work now he's really buoyant he's really vibrant he has a really positive attitude to to his work he's handing out all these all these loans to small business owners and he's really positive and um his life explodes in a, in a flurry of activity and spontaneity and at one point um carl and allison they go to their local um their local airport and they just spin the wheel and they go on a random trip to um a telephone museum in lincoln nebraska uh, of all places which that's on my bucket list i'm definitely gonna go to lincoln nebraska and visit that telephone museum that's definitely one thing that i'm gonna do so everything is um, really going well for Carl. You know, as we know in our own lives, just relate it to our own lives, when we get in a real flow and everything, you know, opportunities are coming, we're meeting new people, and it's like, wow, yeah. Um, it's, it's, um, it's, it's great. So um, whilst he's at the airport, um, in a very sort of brief scene, again, this speaks to like the very 
the transformative way in which Carl is shifting. He really is embracing new ideas, new ideas about himself. So in this particular scene, um, he briefly meets his ex Stephanie and her new boyfriend are off to somewhere. I can't remember where actually. I think it maybe it was Hawaii, somewhere like that. Um, but you could see she was curious about um, Carl. She had renewed attraction for him because he was now living his life and he was not obsessing about losing her. Um, he was living his passion. He was on his passion. He was living his dharma, if you will, and he was living his purpose. And again, to sort of view this particular scene through the whole kind of pickup community. I think it must be a better word than that. I don't really like that word. But anyway, let's call it the men's movement. It's more politically correct. Yeah, let's do that. So she has this renewed attraction for Carl, Stephanie, um, because she, she, one of the reasons probably why she lost attraction for him was that he, well, we know he'd given up all his passions. He'd, he, he just wasn't doing anything in life. But she, um, this renewed attraction came from the fact that she now knows that she could trust him again. He's, um, because he will no longer place her on a pedestal and idolize her, which obviously is not a, a healthy dynamic. It makes certain types of women feel, um, feel uneasy. So that's a, that's a, just an example of how, in this instance, as a man, Carl is a man, um, how when we do embrace life, go for life and really seek transformation, it does make us much more attractive to the opposite sex. If you are a male and you happen to be attractive towards women. So it's a kind of like a real uh, sort of full um, full spectrum. It covers many aspects of us as a being, to be honest. So along with this sort of discovery of a new joy for life, he, he reawakens, in classic Jim Carrey style, of course, his magnetic personality. And um, with, with um, one of the, just re, reassessing this whole idea of the law of, uh, sorry, of unintended consequences, because he's given out all these micro loans, he suddenly has the opportunity, um, he speaks to, his boss whilst he's hanging from a from a bungee rope or a bungee string or whatever they use and he has the opportunity to to advance his career now he wouldn't he would never would have known that when he started out dishing all these micro loans to to small businesses but that again speaks to the idea of the law of unintended consequences because he was in the flow he was working his manifestation machine um, to the fullest of its of its capabilities. Um, and also um, what Carl begins to learn, again, like Phil Connors in um, Groundhog Day, he learns the value uh, or the satisfaction, the personal satisfaction to be gained from being of service to others. In one of the main scenes, he helps the guy down who's threatening um, to, to, to kill himself. So um, he, he begins to learn that life is much like Carl, um, uh, like Phil Connor, sorry, in Groundhog Day, that life is much, you know, life is much bigger than just himself. Um, 
as as his new as his awareness um, grows, and he comes to much more of a state of um, peace and serenity when he focuses his life on being of service um, to others. So the next um, major plot pivot or next major point in the movie is when, uh, of course, Alison and Carl uh, break up at the airport um, because she walks off, because he's hauled in um, to custody, um, because the feds believe um, that he might be a terror suspect because of all his suspicious behaviours. And of course, Alison walks off because she can, she, she, she believes that she can, she she believes that she can no longer cost, um, trust Carl in any way, but Carl thinks he's um, he's broken the covenant covenant that he made with Terence um, because when they were um, in um, in Nebraska and uh, she Allison asks Carl if if he wants you know if he wants. To, to live together and he, he kind of pauses in the moment he doesn't immediately say yes and Alison using her womanly intuition picks up on this so he thinks that because he didn't instantly say yes he, he feels like he's um he's broken the covenant that he he believes that he made with uh, Terence now at this point his world begins to fall apart he suffers lots of uh mis misfortune i think we've 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 all been there where we feel like we're being punished by god or the gods for for past actions or past indiscretions i think we can all relate to carl um in those um particular moments and then eventually of course carl meet, uh, meet, meets up um and um he he speaks to the terence stamp character um, and he says, you know, about, you know, you, you need to remove, you need to remove this, this curse, this covenant that you've put on me. And Terence says, you have, you know, he says to Carl, you haven't broken the covenant at all. Um, he says, he says to Carl what he needs to shift his perspective to the point of saying whereby he wants to say yes. So he says, uh, and I quote, he says to Kyle, you say yes, because you know in your in your heart that you want to. And um, I think obviously this is a key point in the film, because perhaps up until then, uh, Carl is just following along, to be honest. And he's he's caught up in a kind of sort of society norm, if you will, of embracing life, but in quite a hedonistic way. Uh, in quite in some regard um, quite uh, a self-centered way as well but I think this this what this is talking talking to or speaking to perhaps I should say is that it's like that thing about um, when we have humility or when our conscience speaks to us and we act because we know we know that that or having morality perhaps as well we know that that's the right thing to do so saying yes to life because you know because in your heart you know that you want to is is basically saying that it's a fully it's fully letting go because it's that's where life really is it's not stuck in the head 
it's not trying to rationalize it's not trying to calculate a route through life it's just coming it's just coming from the heart and this is furthermore about how we all need to harmonize the heart and the mind in order to become fully in order to become full human beings i think this is what the terence stamp um was talking to it's not the art of letting go within yes man is is not just an, an intellectual thing that carl was initially just doing because he'd been told to do it kind of thing and um i just um sort of spoke to also um i've spoken about this sorry in my discerning consciousness episode where i spoke about mind orientated spirituality in the intellectual understanding of spiritual con concepts and metaphysics and the occult and all the rest of it will only take you so far and that's what i was talking about on the path of awakening that's what this kind of idea of opening up the heart speaks to as well that sort of counterbalance of the mind and also that um when the heart and mind commune with one another that is when they are said to be in perfect union and we are then moving towards being a full spectrum human being of course within mainstream society uh, we are encouraged to in some regards to sort of venerate the mind venerate the the uh, intellect in a very small-minded kind of way as we've seen with covid and and trust trust the science in a sort of um very egotistical way because as we know the mind and the intellect can be an amazing tool um if if properly apart uh, applied and the second point i want to make really um is that um as I've spoken about quite a lot recently before, is on the path we'll often be tested, like in the way Carl was, um, in order to, to test our truthfulness and sincerity to see if we can be trusted, I believe, as guardians of higher powers, of higher knowledge. And um, it can feel like that we're being punished, but it isn't really. I think it's just little tests to see to test our sincerity to see you know if we if actually we we are what we say we are if we can walk the talk so to speak although it can um you know it can feel like <laughs> the opposite at times of course um this idea though of fully embracing life and um living a non-attached life um, so it does give um, greater vision and perspective uh, when when our lives do appear to be um, out of um, control. So when when bad things um, happen to us, it's like that thing that quote, isn't it? Uh, often discussed in philosophical circles. Why do bad things happen to good people? I think it's important to keep in mind when we're on a bit of a bad run, so to speak, that. Perhaps we are being tested. Uh, it helps us fall. In, it helps us uh, to not fall into sort of victimhood, and to fall back down, and perhaps fall into states of anxiety, and um, and depression maybe. And also encourages us to understand the beauty and power of living in the present moment. In that, when everything can go to shit, for want of a better phrase. Um, 
that it's important um it it brings an importance upon life in the moment if at any moment we know it can all fall apart then we really do it's a lot easier to live by the maxim of everything is sacred every moment is sacred everything we that we do is sacred from washing our from washing our bodies to brushing our teeth to driving our cars everything is absolutely um is absolutely um sacred so i believe that um carl experienced this during the relationship breakup with alison <clears throat> because he really was forced to reflect upon his real intentions um truthful living does come far more into focus when we fully embrace life like Kyle was so he wasn't so he did have doubts about living with his girlfriend Alison as she did as well of course because her ex left her unexpectedly and I think again this speaks to this idea of when we do fully embrace life we can't just uh, wash over things and bury them as as issues arrive so arise um, so Carl was sort of forced to uh, look at this aspect of his life and some of the some of the trauma he still had from his uh, breakup with his ex-wife um, Stephanie. And it's certainly, I think, more and more going forward, this this process is is going um, is going to accelerate really quite rapidly. So it is going to be it is going to be um, it is going to be quite um it is going to be quite disturbing um it can be quite disturbing at times it will be quite disturbing at times so in the final scenes carl and addison are eventually reconciled as in all the best love stories of course and they agree to take things a little bit uh, more slowly um moving forward so i'm just going to share um some of my closing thoughts by way of a conclusion um obviously yes man is such a um it really is such a great such a great movie because it really does it really does reveal um that in order for life to flow we have to give up our emotional attachment to specific outcomes um, in order to really just let go and embrace life we just have to allow everything allow it all uh, which is really goes against all our social um, social and cultural um, programming um, to be honest I believe perhaps this is my take on this kind of spiritual law or principle I think it's probably okay to have preferences rather than get wrapped up with dogma in regard to what we de we desire um the outcome to be and i believe that 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 this is what is the real secret ingredient to living a truly um a, tr a truly sort of um fulfilling life is is to is to retain uh this sort of awareness and also the kind of phrase that we've um uh, often heard is that everything everything comes to us um, everything comes to us for a reason no matter what arises um, really does um, come to us for 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 good reason 
and also um, I think it, um, it's important um, to remember that by fully embracing life um, I think what it also gives us uh, by living non-attachment I think it gives us greater vision uh, and perspective um, for our lives going forward really I think it means that it gives us greater uh, opportunity for creative uh, ventures, perhaps new creative ventures with other people, because it means that we that we consider doing things perhaps that we wouldn't have once can we that we wouldn't have once um, considered doing. I think that's a theme also um, that is uh, picked up in the movie. Um, yes, man. Anyway, I think I will round things up here now as we're coming upon the hour. So I really do hope you've enjoyed my latest venture into the realm of movie reviews uh, with a lightly with a slightly different twist, I should say, just to bring some of the more spiritual, uh, spiritually empowering um, themes and ideas, as always, as I like to do um, on my radar in the coming months will be something um, that I've uh, always wanted to do a movie review, and that's The Wizard of Oz, of course. Uh, it's a deeply uh, uh, esoteric movie, as many, many, um, as many people have spoken about. And uh, I really do want to I want to um, give my take on that. So just lastly, um, if you're not aware, um, I also, as well as my normal Discerning Consciousness podcast, I also in the last few months, uh, I've started a weekly uh, audio audio diary i call it my a log not my v log my a log so go check that out if that hasn't if that isn't something um that you already have done so it's much more unscripted i don't refer to any notes uh it's just much more streams of consciousness musings so it's just kind of things that have been um on my mind in the previous seven days because it's something that i release um every weekend or i intend to going forward so thank you all once again uh, for tuning in and I will speak to you all again very soon. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.